My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Tammy Mast and Kenneth Alieu. These days, there are areas in most major cities that are experiencing some version of gentrification. The rapidity and intensity vary, as do the exact mechanisms, but the outcomes are broadly similar. Generally speaking, one or many corporate entities, usually with government support, decide that they can make more money out of a neighborhood if they change it somehow. These changes generally displace the people who already live there, who are most likely poor and often racialized, tearing apart communities and making space for new residents who are richer and often whiter while making buckets of cash for the corporations in question. Herongate is a neighborhood in South Ottawa. According to today's guests, it is a vibrant neighborhood with a welcoming community feel. It is multiracial, the majority of residents are black or Arab, and it is predominantly working class. Herongate is also home to one of the largest clusters of rental housing in the country owned by a single landlord, a 23-hectare area encompassing both townhouses and high-rise buildings. Since 2012, it has been owned by Timber Creek Asset Management, a corporation that controls something like $8 billion worth of real estate and related assets in North America, Asia, and Europe. In 2016, Timber Creek evicted the residents of 80 units in Herongate. The units were demolished to make way for new upscale apartments, and the residents were displaced. Again in the spring of 2018, Timber Creek notified the residents of an additional 150 homes that they were being evicted. This time, though, people in the neighborhood started to get together and resist. Youth in the community began connecting people via social media, and pretty soon, the Herongate Tenant Coalition was up and running. Most of the people who were involved didn't think of themselves as activists, just as people defending their homes. They knocked on doors and talked to their neighbors. They had meetings and picnics and community gatherings. They connected with student groups at the local universities and with organizations based elsewhere in Ottawa. They secured a lawyer who was committed to approaching the issue from a human rights perspective and started raising money to pay for that legal support. They took residents from other parts of the city on tours of the neighborhood to make them aware of the issues. They defended active coalition members who were targeted by Timber Creek in various ways. And they regularly spoke out, demonstrated, and protested against the evictions. Though this organizing was not able to stop the evictions, it did manage to win some concessions for the evicted residents. It also seems to have been enough to push Timber Creek to change at least the rhetoric it is using around its redevelopment schemes. Their recent language has included talk of a social contract and of an end to mass evictions, though this does nothing to undo the harm the company has already done to the community, and it is too early to tell what it actually means in practice. Certainly there are other tactics that landlords use to displace residents, and more gradual modes of gentrification, so it seems likely that the struggle will continue. 
And certainly since the evictions, the coalition has continued to fight back against the realities of a multi-billion dollar company making profits on the backs of working class residents. Two of the largest high-rises in the neighborhood had inadequate heat for an extended period earlier in the winter, and they mobilized around that issue. And they are actively resisting Timber Creek's efforts in those two buildings to get approval to raise the rents above the provincial guideline. In theory, above-guideline rent increases are supposed to be to cover the costs of repairs that have already been completed, but chronic disrepair is an issue throughout Herongate, and the Coalition has collected examples in the affected buildings of requested repairs that the landlord has simply not done. Tenant organizers in other cities have pointed to the aggressive use of above-guideline rent increases as one element of slower strategies of gentrification and displacement. I speak with Mast and Aliu about the Herongate Tenant Coalition and about the struggles of the Herongate community with their powerful landlord. I'm Kenneth, Kenneth Aliu. I'm a student at Carter University and I'm also a member of the Herongate Tenant Coalition. And I'm Tammy, Tammy Mast. I live in Herongate. I've lived here for five years and I avoided all of the activity in the summer because I was kind of afraid of how that would affect me as a tenant, and I didn't get involved until this fall. The Herongate Tenant Coalition, it's a coalition of activists, not just activists, students, people that live in the neighborhood, organizers that are fighting to better the demands of Herongate peoples that are living within this community. The coalition was formed in the summer of 2018, after the second round of eviction, and it's just to put pressure on Timber Creek to stop evicting people that live in um, marginalized communities at the expense of profit. I think it's important to note that in the summer, when all of this started, when the Herongate Tenant Coalition first formed, it was really a movement of people just trying to protect their homes. These were just literally people defending their homes. I go to Carter University. I've lived in Herongate for two years now. And as a student, I study law and human rights with a general focus in international human rights and African studies. So I'm very passionate about human rights. The reason I got involved with Aaron Gates was actually during my radio show. I was reading up everything that was going on, and I got in contact with some of the two leading organizers at that time, Josh and Ikram, and I interviewed them. And it was looking at it from a human rights issue, because I lived in the building owned by Timber Creek. I know a lot of students that do live in the building owned by Timber Creek, and I've gotten lots of information about Timber Creek activities, the way they treat the tenants, the way they treat students, the way they treat people that do not necessarily have English as a first languages. I've seen the way they neglect people in most cases. And to me, that just doesn't seem right. For that reason, I decided to join the coalition and to share the information, to share in a broader sense, to use my platform as a way to tell people about the various atrocities that are going on within this community, a very vibrant community. And for me, that was really why I did it. The pursuit of human rights. I think people should not necessarily be looked at the commodity. They should be seen as humans. They should be seen as people with lives and communities. I also went to Carleton. I did my undergraduate degree there and I, I went to graduate school there. I have a MA in sociology and I just wasn't able to do graduate work while also doing activist work. And it's been after I've finished graduate school that I've started doing this kind of stuff. So in December, a friend of mine on the street, she got an eviction notice and a number of people on the street got eviction notices. And that was what finally triggered me to become involved. People that live in the neighborhoods, uh, students, parents, homemakers, 
Basically, the neighborhood is structured in a way that every amenities that you need is around you. There's a food basic, there's a post office, there are places you can get food, there's a Tim Hortons. It's a really vibrant community. And the people that live here are majority Black and Arab, mostly new immigrants. And lots of kids live here because there's a high school beside the community. And so the neighborhood is a very rich neighborhood, especially during the holiday times. That's when you begin to really see the richness of this neighborhood. Because during Eid, you see people going out to prayers because there's a box beside us. And you see them coming back from the neighborhood. During Christmas time, you see people hanging out in the park and just... It's a really fun neighborhood. That It's a really interesting community, one that I can compare to like Rexdale in Toronto. It's an immigrant neighborhood, and you can really see the community focus within the Erangate space. And that's only way I can really describe it, that it's a community based around marginalized people forging a kind of new home for themselves. Like I said, I moved to Herringate five years ago, and we came here because we had a really hip-looking little apartment in Centertown, Ottawa, downtown, very trendy sort of place. And it was destroyed by a fire. And we ended up here in Herringate because the rents were really good. And now we went from a tiny two-bedroom apartment to a townhouse with a garage and a backyard. And I've lived in Ottawa for 17 years now. And I can honestly say that it wasn't until I moved to Herringate that I felt at home in Ottawa. I was in Ottawa for 12 years before I felt at home here. And it was Herringate that made me feel at home. I am more connected to my neighbors and the neighborhood than I've ever been in any other community in Ottawa. I think an important part of that is that this is a very working class neighborhood. And, you know, I grew up in rural Alberta. I grew up working class. There's a lot of ways that Ottawa is not very welcoming to working class people, and Herringate certainly is. What events sparked people to start getting together to form this group? The real background history goes back to 2012 when Timber Creek purchased 23 acres of private housing units in Herringate from Transworld Company. And that was really when the first eviction rounds took place. People, a lot of people have to leave their homes because they're trying to build a kind of resort style housing apartments. That was the first round that happened. The second part came in 2018. And this part was, again, the same tactic. The landlord sent 60 homes, an eviction letter saying the homes were in a dire state and they would like to renovate it to build a more resort-style apartments and complexes and a kind of restructuring of the Erangate community, basically. That was really when the coalition started forming. And so that was when we really started getting attention to the major issue of evictions and displacements by a developing company like Timber Creek. So the landlord was using the poor condition of the units as a rationale for evicting people and then renovating or rebuilding so they could rent the new units out for significantly more money. Do I have that right? The key issue was the fact that they were saying that they needed to renovate the houses. However, they ignored every kind of work order. So whenever the people asked for like a work order from Timber Creek, Timber Creek literally ignored it. This was multiple statements from people that were living in the houses. That so it was a neighborhood of neglect. They didn't fix any of the amenities. They didn't fix any of the utilities. They were very rude when they asked for Timber Creek members to come fix the communities. In most cases, if you didn't speak English like a first language, you're basically going to get the most rude interaction you've ever gotten. And that was like the general scenery around Timber Creek. It's targeted neglect. They make choices about whose work orders they're going to follow up on, whose home is going to get the maintenance attention that it needs. They make those choices. 
about who's going to get it and they know who they're choosing. They had apartments that were flooded. They had sinks that weren't working. They had houses with bed bugs. They had roofs that were in disrepair. You literally have to come see the place to understand the kind of destruction and neglect that was usually going on. Like something that it cannot necessarily describe. They had gates that weren't working, staircases that weren't fixed. It was really bad. And it's very spotty. So like when we go into some of the tower apartment buildings, we go in there, we can talk to one person and they won't have any problems, but their neighbor right next door will have cockroaches and bed bugs and no heat. It's very patchy who and where the disrepair is. And when the second round of evictions started last summer and people started feeling like they wanted to get together and do something, how did that coming together happen? It started with contacting the neighborhood, the youth who lived around the neighborhoods. It started with making a Facebook page. We started with social media. Basically, social media was a big instrument by which to get people's attention to the matter. People were able to see the pictures online. They were able to come to the neighborhood to ask for tours and to look at what was actually going on within the emigrant communities. So it was true members that lived within the community, parents, workers that did not want to leave, that didn't want to break the bonds that they've tied within Erringate. And that was basically where you got the connection from. And also students that stayed in Couch University that do live in the neighborhood like me, who got involved and told other friends to get involved. And once people had started to find each other, how did the group begin to take action? Basically, they organized, right? We did luncheons in the parks, shared information with different people, with different groups like Oprah Cowton. Uh, that's a student group at Carleton University. Secured a law firm, a lawyer, started to go for me to gain enough funds to fight the evictions, to shape it as a human rights issue. We did lots of community engagements. That's lots of going around the neighborhoods and telling more people about it. Lots of taking students and professors to tour the neighborhoods. Lots of sittings and conferences and going to the Orangate office to protest. So various organizing mechanisms, that was what was utilized. At first, there was a bit of pessimism towards Timber Creek community. And the reason why was basically the fact that people that lived within Erangate, they were hopeless in the sense that they said this has always been the strategy by what they defined as slumlords. They termed them as slumlords. It was the way by which people who could not speak good English, in most cases, people who were racialized, interacted with Timber Creek communities and Timber Creek housing, and the ways by which they were treated as subpar. They were treated as less than humans, even within the buildings. These were the conversations that was happening at that time. Everglade Television was kind of unique in the sense that this was the first time that tenants truly organized against the landlord. This was not something that was reimagined in like the last, let's say, two years or the last five years, because people just gave up and just accepted the tactics of this developing company. And as we began to have that kind of interactions, and we began to talk to people that this is not necessarily okay. This is not fair that they should be doing this. In a richer neighborhood, this would not necessarily happen. We have to understand that there's a potential racial and class bias and class issue that is situated within the Arrogate community. And because these people are racialized and they know that they did not have like a voice, they actually targeted the neglect. It was a strategy. It was a sort of term of the financialization of by landlords, most cases. And by the time we started having that conversation, that community engagement, more people started getting involved. More people started believing within the coalition, started leaning. I wanted to join in. I wanted to find out ways to help. More people started messaging on saying that they wanted to volunteer. They wanted to take on various initiatives. They wanted to raise money. 
the MSA accounting, the Muslim Science Organization raised a lot of funds for the Nerengate Commission. Mm-hmm. We have Institute of African Studies that were organizing also to spread the news that was going on in Nerengate. We had journalists that were communists, not just student journalists, but actual journalists too, mm-hmm. that were coming in to understand that this eviction or this displacement was one of the largest in Canada. I think the coalition actually achieved a kind of success in changing that pessimistic mind and pessimistic attitude of people that felt that they couldn't stand up against a multi-billion dollar company, Mm -hmm. which is Timber Creek. And I understand that as powerful as the organizing was, and even though you did win some additional concessions for the folks who were evicted, it wasn't actually able to stop the evictions. That must have taken a toll on the coalition, with so many core members being forced out of the neighborhood. Just to be clear, that wasn't just the Tenet Coalition that that was a loss for. That was a loss for the community of Herringate. Some of those people had lived in those homes for 25, 30 years. There are members of our group who grew up in those homes, and they're now gone. And so it's not just that the Tenet Coalition lost something here. I think the community genuinely lost something here. Because these people, when they were being forced from their homes, they were told by Timber Creek, There's nothing here for you. We can't give you a new rental. And they were just told there was nothing available. And it was only once some lawyers got involved, there was a few families who were refusing to leave. And once there's lawyers involved, suddenly those families are being offered places in Herringate, somewhere in the neighborhood. Oh, look, this suddenly came up. Now there is a little townhouse that you could move into. So it's been a blow to us as an organization because some of the people that had been involved with this were forced out of the neighborhood, but it's also a major loss for the community. And I understand that since the evictions, the coalition has still been fighting hard around things like the condition of the housing and ongoing rent increases. Tell me about that work. What we have done is go door knocking and print out a lot of flyers and tell people to send in the work orders and try to use the coalition as more of a ways by which tenants can feel empowered to challenge Timber Creek and to ask for them to do better and to be better. When we went door knocking, people were explaining to us what was going on. The heat was not necessarily turned on. Erringate workers would say, oh, the parts were broken or they're trying to ship it or the heater was malfunctioning. Yeah. The two largest high-rise buildings on the property earlier in the winter, those buildings, both buildings, people were very dissatisfied with the level of heat in the building. And the people were telling us each and everything that they were feeling. At some point, we got a man who came out to tell us about how his apartment was infiltrated with bed bugs. And he sent in a work order to Erringate, and Erringate brought in this man who did literally nothing but stole some of his valuables and left. And yet, the bed bugs were still inside. These were the kind of stories we're getting. We got one from couples who say their work orders have not necessarily been accepted, it has been neglected. We got one from pregnant mothers who say they smell the scent of marijuana when they're in their apartments and their window is broken. So it was getting those voices of different tenants that were coming in. Timber Creek applied for an AGI for two of the high-rise buildings, and we rallied the tenants of those buildings. An AGI is an above-guidelines increase. So the province regulates how much rent can be raised every year. And a landlord can apply to add an additional, I believe it's up to 3% in addition to the 1.8 that they're allowed to raise it every year. It's supposed to be for costs that they have already incurred. So they're supposed to already have done repairs and then they apply the rental increase to cover the cost of those repairs that are already done onto the tenants. A number of years ago when Timber Creek did this, 
they're just doing these things in bad faith. They're not doing the work. They're not applying for the AGI with work that they've already done. The work that they're saying is done is not done. And so we successfully connected the tenants and got them to the landlord and tenant board so that they could say, no, we're not going to just accept this AGI. And so now there's going to be a merit hearing about that, which I really want to point out how backwards and ridiculous that is, that there's no merit hearing before an AGI is approved. Like a company can just say, we want an AGI. And if nobody resists, they'll just get it. They don't have to prove that it's warranted or that they need it. That only happens if the tenants resist. And one thing you've been doing is encouraging people to file work orders for the repairs that are needed, even though that doesn't necessarily result in the repairs being done. What's the tactical reasoning behind getting residents to submit work orders? The tactical implication of having people signing the work orders is just to show, uh, we took it to the landlord tenant board to show them that people have a lot of work orders in these apartments, in these high rises that have been neglected. You can't necessarily justify an AGI when you're not necessarily doing the actual work that people are wanting you to do. People bringing in the work orders is basically to tell Timber Creek that they're not satisfied with the level of management that they're doing with the apartment and the business. They're paying a high amount of rent, and yet everything they're asking for has literally gone unheard. So in that regard, the work orders are a way by which to challenge Timber Creek tactics. It's a way to track things, right? You have it on paper. So like the heat thing that's been an issue in the towers this winter, there's a number of people who we've spoken to who they go to the office to complain and they want to fill out a work order and the receptionist will say, oh no, lots of people, we're on it. We're working on it. Don't worry about it. And the receptionist will just send them away and say, oh, you don't need to do that. Don't do it. So now you have another person who's dissatisfied with their heat and it's not being tracked in writing. That person has nothing to prove that they, you know, spoke to their landlord about this because they're told, oh, we're working on it. Everybody's already told us we're working on it. So that's one of the things that we've been emphasizing is put everything in writing and keep your copy of everything. What have the landlord's responses been like through all of this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Slapping people (laughs) with cease and desist and giving us eviction notices. They do have people that come into our meeting sometimes. They watch out for those people that they really know very well, like Josh or Nima. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed into certain spaces. Nima has been slapped with some cysts and desists by Timber Creek. They monitor our social media. Some of the people that are involved in the coalition, they give them eviction notices on a very ridiculous basis. Basically, they targeted these people. And so there have been a lot of intimidation tactics by Timber Creek in order for them to quell and suppress and repress and in a way intimidate members that are organizing with Erangate. An example of that was for me, Timber Creek sealed my doors so that people don't drop off the work orders in my apartment anymore. You know, when someone tried to put a paper under your apartment door, so they sued everything, just so people are not able to submit work orders to my apartment because my apartment has been identified as the place where people drop work orders and people organize. After that, they gave me an eviction notice, which we had to go to the landlord's tenant board. It went well, they didn't evict me, but those are the kind of tactics they usually do. What would you say to people, either in Ottawa or from farther away, who might want to act in support? A couple of things. I think first has to do with the ideological sense, understanding why communities exist, especially why racialized communities exist, in the sense of why people come together in this kind of secluded neighborhood to enrich each other and have this kind of bond 
and this ties with one another. Communities, in a sense, are not about profit, but communities are about building links and building opportunities among each other. Human beings shouldn't be bullied around by multi-billion dollar companies who see them merely as commodities and not as human beings. I think some people are scared about the backlash they might get or the fact that they do not necessarily have power. They do not have the opportunity to speak out like someone that would speak out in a very middle class or more affluent neighborhoods. And I think we should bury that kind of image that we cannot stand against people that see you as money-making product in them. In order to lend support to the Aggregate Coalition, I think it's better to stand in solidarity with us, to speak to the MPs, to share mm-hmm. it on your social media pages, to talk to families and friends that you know that this is what is going on within this neighborhood. Donate to the fund also, because these are people for the first time that are fighting against their sense of worth, you know, mm-hmm. their human dignity, their sense to participate in a broader Canadian society. These are people that are Canadians because they're from racialized backgrounds does not necessarily mean they're less Canadian than you. We need to start finding this kind of links and this kind of connections to people that do live in racialized neighborhoods to understand the struggles that they do go to, to understand the kind of things that are up against. And that way you can learn to find this bond and to build a more greater movement in speaking truth to power in every instance of our lives. People can engage in this work in their community too. That's an important part of solidarity is for people in their own community to reach out to these marginalized communities and help them any way that they can to get involved and see how these same sort of things are happening in their own community. That there are areas of, you know, your own city that you're in where corporations are just using the citizens of that part of the city just to make money for as long as they can. And then when they're done with them, they're going to throw them away. Across Canada, if awareness of these kinds of things can be brought to people's attention, I think it can become a bigger movement. This is not just about hearing it, right? This is a trend we're seeing all around the world and people that are doing it are this multi-billion dollar companies mm-hmm. who are gentrifying neighborhoods, destroying communities, all for the very reason of making profit. Mm-hmm. I think that is inherently wrong in and of itself. Yeah, so for the second phase of this redevelopment of the neighborhood, they recently had a community meeting. Our ward councillor and the executives and stuff from Timber Creek, they just trumpeted themselves as these great progressives and humanitarians with their new social contract that they've introduced into their new redevelopment plan. And, you know, they're not heroes for doing that. They're sort of claiming of we're engaging in a social contract in a way that has never been done before is like, it's obscene because, no, you have destroyed a community. You irreparably damaged this community by forcing all of those people out. You don't get to now pretend that you're concerned with them. You have been listening to my interview with Tammy Mast and Kenneth Aliu of the Herongate Tenant Coalition. To learn more about their work, go to herongatetenants.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. (laughs) 